Well, we are in the book of Romans right now. And we're looking at four reasons that people so often balk or dig in their heels and reject this free offer of the gospel or salvation in Jesus Christ. And so if you're struggling to think, why would you reject this? Why would this not be good news? Well, God's word actually gives us some reasons why. And we should not be surprised that everybody is not going to automatically say, yes, thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles. Let's look at our passage again. Romans chapter 9. Turn with me in your Bibles. We've been digging down into a few verses and bringing up reasons that people reject the free offer of the gospel. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. I do hope you have a Bible with you. I want you to bring a Bible or a device where you can see scripture for yourself. Because listen to me, my words can change no one. God's words are powerful and will not return void to him. And you can go back to it again if you're learning your Bible and see where I'm preaching. You say, I want to think about that some more. I want you to be able to go to God's word, not my words. So bring a Bible or a device and get familiar with where things are in scripture. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by, say it, faith. But as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now, he's going he's to actually give us awareness that everybody isn't going to say, yes, this is actually going to cause some people to stumble and be offended. And so he's going to quote from Isaiah. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. But now we're about to find out he's not just talking about some inanimate object. It's a person that people stumble over. It's a person that people are offended by. And whoever believes on him, who's him? Jesus will not be put to shame. Chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4, one of the sweetest sentences in all the Bible. For Christ is the end of Of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And I pray that now you would lift up Jesus Christ. Not this church, not me, not any system, but a savior. Make much of Christ. Lift up Christ. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Draw people to your son today because of your word and your spirit. Where there's darkness, give light. Where there's confusion, give clarity. 
Where there's despair, give hope. Where there's pride, shatter it. For our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, why do so many people reject this free offer of the gospel? We've already looked at two reasons. So before I give you the third today, let's review quickly. Number one, you just might not think you need to be saved. So, someone's offering you something and saying, thanks, but I don't need that. It doesn't apply to me. I'm not in that category. If you don't think you need it, you're not going to be interested. Most of us don't like being peppered with unsolicited offers, even if they say they're free. It's free. It's free. It's free. Number two, you might already be caught up in a flurry of religious activities. You're already so busy getting her done. I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. In other words, you say, I'm on it. I got this. I'm zealous for the things of God. Why don't you go find yourself a pagan or a heathen that doesn't care about the things of God or is confused about the things of God because that's not me. I got my list and I'm going hard after it. I got my list and I'm going hard after it. Now, in the midst of all that zeal, this is not a self-proclaimed atheist. This is, this is a churchy person. What's the operative pronoun in the middle of all that zeal? I'm on it. I got this. I'm very zealous. I'm working hard. You see, it's all focused on what I'm trying to do for God that I hope will earn me his favor. And that is how you spell religion. Religion is comprised of that kind of stuff. Oh, there's all kinds of variations, but it's always comprised of there's things I'm doing. And it changes from church to church, but there's things I'm doing. And so you can spell religion D-O. D-O. Because it's always focused about you and your list and all you think you're doing for God to earn his favor. While Christianity, with the gospel at the very center of it. So I have to make that qualifying phrase, sadly. Christianity itself, through, the hist- through our history, has gotten off on tangents. And yes, the world has confused people, but so has the church, as it has made much of things that should not have been made much of and has been lost in the midst of all kinds of other stuff. What is the main thing? The gospel, the free offer of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. So Christianity, with the gospel at the very center and heart of it, is always focused entirely outside of yourself on what God has already done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, by taking on flesh and stooping and stepping into our sinful world and living the only perfect life, the only perfect life that was ever lived. He is the God-man, Jesus, fully God, Fully man. And he kept God's law perfectly. Satisfying a holy, just, righteous God's demands. And then went to the cross willingly. It was no mistake. It was no things didn't get out of control. He went willingly. He said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. He's the one that went without a word, silently, to the cross, and he became our sin payment, sacrifice, atonement. 
Because when Christ hung on the cross, the, ho- the most horrible part of it was not the spikes through his wrists and the spikes through his fists and the beard that had been ripped out and the spittle running down his face and the shame of, of being nailed there naked. The worst part was in that moment, God, holy, just, righteous, who for all mankind, as long as there have been human beings, had been storing up his wrath against sin in that moment, put all of our sin on his son and unleashed his wrath on Christ that should have been on us. And that's why Jesus cried out. He never cried out and said, oh, oh, the physical agony. Oh, the spikes. Oh, oh, he said, Father, why have you what? He'd never known the horror of being forsaken by his father. The utter darkness, the other, as much as you recoil from some of the wickedness in our world, and if you're a thinking person, surely you do when you see the news sometimes and you just think, how could someone do that? It's just, oh, every horrible, heinous, despicable, wicked, awful thing from everyone who would ever trust Christ was put on Jesus who had never known sin. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 29 says, he became, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, just as scripture had prophesied, just as he told his disciples over and over that he would do and they just didn't get it. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin, Satan, hell, and death. You can read it in Colossians 2 where it says, He made a mockery and he triumphed over all the spiritual forces of darkness. When he rose from the dead, he sent Satan and all demonic dark forces screaming and running. We can now be free, forgiven, no condemnation because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the gospel. It's not, oh, I don't smoke. I don't go to movies. I know I date myself. I grew up in the age of the church where it's like length of hair, length of skirt. Do you go to the movies? Do you play cards? Do you smoke? That has absolutely nothing to do with any of it. And you could switch your list for something else. The gospel is what I just explained to you right there. It's focused on what God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. That's why the gospel and Christianity with the gospel at the center of it is always spelled D-O, help me, N-E, done. That's why Jesus, when he hung there, he said, it is, say it, finished. Not I am finished. He's the great I am. He lives on. It, what? The biggest problem that we had, our sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And we could have never atoned. We could have never been good enough. We could have never been obedient enough. We could never, ever earn it. It is finished. Now the free offer of the gospel goes out to sinners. Now today I want to give you a third reason. People balk at this free offer, this good news. 
Number three, here's why some people dig in their heels. You might not be willing to swallow your self-righteous pride. And pride is so often the sin beneath the sin. That's, that's the, oh, it's the hardest to root out. It's just, you might not be willing to swallow your self-righteous pride. I explained the good news, the gospel, to someone recently on an evening. They've been attending our services regularly. They sent me an email and said, I've got questions. I'm still confused. I sat down with them and I explained the gospel. And they'd grown up in a church that had made all kinds of confusing things the main thing. I explained the gospel, just like I just said it to you. That now anyone who believes on him, that he is who he says he is, that he did what the scripture said he did, you can be forgiven, free, no condemnation, adopted. He looked at me and he said, it can't be that easy. Here's my response. If you're wondering, well, what would you say, Pastor Brad, to that? I've heard it before. Here's what I always say. Oh, oh, here's why it's not easy. It's simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand and respond to. But here's why it's not easy. Because this message of the gospel, this offer of the gospel, cuts the very feet out from underneath our Biggest sin problem, which is, say it, pride and self-righteousness. Because as you hear this offer, as you consider this offer, your flesh screams out. I can't be that bad. It can't be that I do nothing. Don't tell me I do nothing. Tell me something to do. Tell me I do a little. I'm okay with I do some. God makes up the difference and we meet halfway. I got to do something. I got to do something. I am not just, there's no way I'm just helpless, hopeless, bankrupt, and I'm supposed to just say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yes, that's what you have to do. And by nature, we don't want to do that. Because for one thing, you feel very out of control. So there's resistance to this. This is hard. Let me show you how Paul hits this whole issue of self-righteous pride. Head on, because he knew this is one of the things getting in the way of the Jews. And news alert, it's what's getting in the way of some of you today from truly trusting Christ. Look at Romans 10, verses 3 to 4 again. And here's, the, here's where I want to unpack today. This is what we're going to try to understand better today. Verses 3 and 4. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now look at me a minute. Let's make clear what he's saying. When he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, he's not talking about, oh, the inerrant character of God, that he's a righteous God. And they don't understand he's a righteous God, that he's holy, he's righteous. That's all true. But in this verse, he is talking about, for they being ignorant of the righteousness that God offers, God's righteousness, the righteousness that God extends to sinners. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness that he's willing to give because of his son. And seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You say, but Brad, doesn't the Bible talk about our righteousness? Don't we have some righteousness? Thanks for bringing that up. It does. 
In fact, let me tell you what it says about our righteousness. In Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like an unclean thing. All our righteousness or all our righteous acts, whatever translation you have, the best of the best of the best that you could do are as filthy rags. He's not talking about the worst You'd have to go far worse than that with with metaphors. The best moment you have, the best thing you do, motivated by, look at me, look at me, look at me, look what I have to offer, is as filthy rags. That's what God says about our righteousness. So I wouldn't be pointing there as a source of hope. In fact, I would take that off my spiritual resume altogether. And I don't want to offend unnecessarily this morning in mixed company, but because, listen, because we are... Of how slow we are to see how bad we are. I want to tell you what the English translators have done. The English translators chose to translate a Hebrew word, filthy rags, that literally in the Hebrew means menstruous rag. Related to a woman's menstrual cycle. It's the same word used twice in Leviticus and once in Lamentations. In other words, our own righteousness that we could come up with is nothing more than filthy rags that not only does it not cover us, it simply defiles us more. The more you seek to establish your own righteousness, you defile yourself even more. It doesn't cover you. It can't help you. It defiles you. Your own righteousness is as filthy rags. But I want you to notice another word. In verse 3, ignorant. What is it that the Jews were so ignorant of and resistant towards that we are equally ignorant of? We'll keep reading. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They're not, they're not paying attention or realizing God extends his own righteousness. The righteousness that God would give. They're ignorant of that. Being ignorant of God's righteousness. You say, well, who cares? What what if we're ignorant that God extends his righteousness? what's, What's it matter? Oh, oh, get this. Because this is human nature. If you're ignorant of God's righteousness and you don't realize and you don't want that he's extends, you don't just sit there and do nothing. You seek to establish your own instead. It's always that way. Because we're not dogs, we're not aardvarks, we're not anteaters, we're not a houseplant. We're created in the image of God. And there is a sense within every human being, you don't have to become a Christian, you don't have to be baptized, you don't have to do any of that to be different than the rest of the universe. You have a sense of rightness and wrongness. Because the law is written on your heart, Romans 2 says, and you have a conscience. And so you have a need to either, you're either going to receive the righteousness of God, or you're going to have to churn and work on ways to justify yourself. Ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It's like oil and water. It's either or. You can't do both. You cannot receive his righteousness, submit to it, and at the same time work on your own. One rules out the other. So i got to ask you. What do you have today? I'm not asking you where you're sitting. You're sitting in church. Yay. But you can sit in a church, a good church, 
I think this one is. That preaches the Bible and still be lost in your own little system and, and establishing your own righteousness. Do you have the righteousness that God gives, the righteousness of God through his son Jesus Christ based on faith? Or do you have something else? You say, well, what would that something else be, Pastor Brad? How would I know if I was doing that wrong thing? What would it look like? What does seeking to establish their own righteousness look like? Oh, it looks a thousand different ways in a thousand different people. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it is the same prideful, destructive, unsubmissive ignorance. You see, establishing your own righteousness could be as simple as trusting in the family you were born into. My parents are Christian. My dad was an elder. My dad was a pastor. My granddad was a circuit riding pastor. Oh, we've got missionaries in our family. Oh, 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 your family. Simply trusting in the family you were born into. Could be trusting in the church you grew up in. The commandments you think you've not broken yet. Most people have not broken all Ten Commandments. They can live their whole life without breaking them all. And that's what you're focused on there. Haven't broken a lot of the commandments. It might be focused on the people you think you're better than. You can always look around and say, well, I'm not like that. And I'm not like that in heavens. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> stupid, 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 stupid. Right? And nobody says that out loud as they're walking through Walmart, but you think it. <laughs> right? Your first thought is not, but for the grace of God, there go I. It's like, I've made so much better choices than, whoo. So anybody, where are these people? Is there anybody normal here shopping? That's, that's the heart. And you just think, I'm doing so much better. Or it could be based on some church tradition or practice that you've walked your way through obediently. Whether it's baptism, by immersion, or sprinkled as a baby, or a catechism class, or whatever. Hey, how about this? If you grew up Southern Baptist, and I did, you walked the aisle. Now, don't hear me saying no one that walks an aisle get saved. Do hear me saying as much as Baptists tend to thump on Catholics and other people saying they teach works, they teach works, they teach works. We teach Jesus Christ, but you better get out of your seat and walk forward during just as I am. And we're going to sing it till somebody comes, doggone it. <laughs> but when they come, they're saved. They're saved. It happens right here. Get saved right here. How many men have gotten up after their woman, their wife has driven them nuts. Go, Freddie, go, go forward. It's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get her off my back. And I walk the aisle. He has no appetite for the things of God. He has no interest in the things of God. He doesn't plug into church. But hallelujah, Freddie is a Christian. He just hasn't made him Lord. Oh, shut up. It's like salvation it's just make a decision, walk the aisle. And then later, if you want to, lordship is optional. That's that other level. And he may never get around to that, but now he doesn't go to hell. I've got news for you. As we go on in Romans 10, it says, Whoever confesses Jesus as, say it, Lord shall be saved. If Jesus isn't your Lord, he's not your Savior, and you're still on your way to hell. 
I don't care how many aisles you walked, how many hands you shook. So it could happen in any church. It can happen in this church. I'm in a small group. Whatever it is, the church emphasizes a lot that they want you to do. And we've never taught getting in a small group saves you. But that's what human nature does. It just starts to think, oh, I guess these things they talk about a lot. If I'll do that, I'm good. I'm in. That's what seeking to establish your own righteousness looks like. A thousand different ways in a thousand different people. That's why it's so slippery and so dangerous. A couple years ago, I was flying back from North Carolina, seated next to a man We started talking, turned out to be a dynamic businessman and was a committed, reformed Jew. Active in his synagogue, active as a school board member of his Hebrew school for his kids. He was sharp. I mean, he loved his kids. He loved his wife. He loved his synagogue. But he had no answers for the most important questions I was asking him. Because here's what I kept asking him. I said, as a reformed Jew without the Old Testament sacrificial system now, right? You don't take a sheep with you. You don't take a goat. You don't take a... None of that's happening, right? No. You don't think Jesus was the Messiah you've been waiting for, so you still haven't had a Savior. What do you do with your sins? What do you do with your sin in this awkward middle ground of we're not practicing the Old Testament and we don't think Jesus was the Messiah? He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. I even asked him about their most important day, Yom Kippur. Literally means day of atonement. Yom is day, Kippur is atonement. Day of atonement. Big, 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 big day. Do you still celebrate? Uh Uh-huh. What are you celebrating? He didn't know. I said, what what, what is your atonement? What are you celebrating? He didn't know. So I switched gears and I said, okay. How do you get to heaven? Favorite question. If this plane goes down, right? You're with me. Please start doing this. If this plane goes down... And we don't make it to Cincinnati. And you stand before God, which you will. And I will. And God says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now here, after all kinds of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He was on it. With enthusiasm, he said, oh, be good. You have to be good. I said, how good is good enough? How do you know how good is good enough? He said, you just know. I said, who sets the standard based on what authority? He said, he got quiet and he said, I guess we do. And I leaned over and I said, you're going to base your eternity on that? I said, the Old Testament, your book, I kept trying to use his part of the Bible. I said, your book, your Old Testament doesn't even teach that. It doesn't teach if you try to be good. It teaches if you keep the law, all of it. And he admitted I was right. He said, you're right. I said, so the Old Testament does not even teach that. I said, the law was given To show us that we're a sinner in need of a savior. And at this point, I'll never forget. He got animated and he waved his hands in frustration. And he said, okay, okay, I'm a Jew. I'm in. It's you Gentiles that have to worry about all that. I wondered about all the other Gentiles on the plane, how we all thought about that. Because he was loud. This conversation was being gathered by numerous people. I was like, all right, settle down, Gentiles. Let's not all go after him at once. I'm going to talk to him some more. Hang on. (laughs) So I went to Isaiah 53. Jesus dying for us is in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. I said, who in the world could that be if it's not Jesus? And he hadn't really read it. So I wrote down Isaiah 53 on a piece of paper and gave it to him. I said, read Isaiah 53. I've been praying for him ever since. That man was seeking to establish his own righteousness 
based on ethnicity. Folks, it's not just that. You can do it in other ways. Have you received the righteousness of God or are you in some way seeking to establish your own? You say, well, Brad, you've said we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. How do we get it? How does the righteousness of God become my righteousness? Oh, so glad you're asking that. I'm going to show you the answer in two places in the Bible. You'll hear the same answer in two different places. Jump back to Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. How does his righteousness become my righteousness? How do I get that, Brad? Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world. Does all the world include Jews? Yes, it does. And that's Paul's whole point. There's no difference now. Salvation is in Jesus That all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. You're not going to get right with God through the law, my friend. No flesh will be justified in his sight. And then he tells us why the law. If you're saying, then what's the law for? Read the next phrase. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's how you know you're a sinner. Sweet two words in verse 21. But... Now, the righteousness of God, and just in case he hadn't been clear enough, he inserts, apart from the law, scoot law off the table. Now that we're talking about the righteousness of God being given to you, scoot law off the table, he says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He's saying, Old Testament law and prophets, they talked about how God was going to do this. They, they talked about a savior coming. They talked about righteousness being given to you. You can find places in the Old Testament that talk the same way. Is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is through, what? Faith. In a system, in a church, in a list, in a person. What's his name? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And who can have this? Just Jews? Just church people? Just just certain ethnicity? To, say it. Say it again. To all and on all who what? Believe. You say it can't be that easy, Brad. It's not easy. Because you have to reach a point where you say, I am spiritually bankrupt. Everything I thought that made me better than everybody else. You say, show me that, Brad. The other place we're going to go to, that's exactly what's going on. I'm going to take you to Philippians 3. And it's Paul's personal testimony of everything that he had to jettison and throw overboard that was getting in his way of truly saying, have mercy on me. Philippians 3. You're going to see the same answer. And it's his personal testimony now. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse... Three. For we are the circumcision. So he's saying, yeah, we are the Jews. But he's talking now, hoping that there's people who, yeah, you're a Jew, but you trust Christ. And look what happened to me, he says. Who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And when you begin to understand it's all about Jesus and what he's done and not what you're trying to do. Then you start to have, look at this next phrase. No confidence where? 
Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, what he's going to do in the next couple verses is say, okay, I know what some of you are thinking and pushing back on. And let me say, if you want to play that game of look at what I bring to the table, I bring more. So now he's going to talk about his own life sarcastically and facetiously and, and, and recognizing, here's what I have. If you say that's how you want to get it done, your own righteousness, establishing your own righteousness, yeah. He says, I was circumcised, verse 5, the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for, say his name. When you understand it's all about Jesus and when you come to Christ, you just count everything else as lost. Just sweep it off the table. It's more than just sweep it off the table. He's going to go on and say, call it garbage. Call it rubbish. Call it refuse. See, these verses often are quoted in reference to, oh, it's cost me Following Jesus cost me my job or cost me a promotion or cost me a house or a car. Uh, I went to the mission field and I left the comforts of America. But there's a principle there that you can do it. But I want you to see in context when Paul says, I've counted all things as loss and I've suffered the loss of all things. He's talking about that preciousness that we have of this is my self-righteousness. These are the things I bring to the table. This is what makes me better than other people. I understand now it's all garbage. I need a savior. Listen to what he says next. Verse eight, but indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my savior, but I might get around to take him as Lord. Say no, please. No, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through what? Faith. In who? The righteousness which is from God by faith. Those last four words in verse nine answer the two biggest questions that you might have. How do I get it? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? From God. How do I get it? By faith. Let's do it again. Where does it come from? From God. He has to give it to you. Where, how do I get it? By faith. But before you can do that, you've got to sweep off the table everything else. So let me ask you, what's in your life today? What do you have? What do you have that you think justifies you before God? Do you have the righteousness that comes from God by faith? Or do you have something else that you've been seeking to establish? Now, these messages now have been, you know, very directed to unbelievers. I hope believers have been encouraged to just hear it again. But let me specifically make a point of application for you believers. You might be sitting here saying, I I get it. I do believe that. And thank you, Brad. It's been good to hear it all over again to clarify. Yes. But you know what, Brad? I 
I think I'm a Christian. I understand what you're saying. I'm not bucking. I'm not resisting. But I still really wrestle with doubts and fear and depression and uncertainty. I get beat up by Satan on a regular basis. Guess what? You're not alone. Because our adversary loves to go after that. Because if he can get you uncertain and and combing over your own life and never sure, it just renders you quite useless for the kingdom. And here's usually what we're guilty of doing, people that struggle with that. I don't feel forgiven. And I don't feel clean and righteous before God. John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress. That book's been translated into more languages second unto the Bible. Bible and then Pilgrim's Progress. You think, this is a man that understands the gospel. That book has been used to change millions of lives. John Bunyan regularly battled bouts of doubt and uncertainty and condemnation. And I want you to hear what he said that he learned to do. That some of you need to learn to do. He said he overcame those doubts by focusing on Christ his advocate. Now Webster's dictionary says an advocate is someone who pleads the cause of another. Pleads for another. Bunyan says if you slip, if you do more than stumble, but in fact fall flat on your face. Do Christians still fall flat on their face? Proverbs 24 says the righteous man falls seven times, yet rises again. One calamity is enough to lay the wicked low. You're going to fall then you can be certain that pretty soon your enemy will submit a bill to heaven for your failure. Don't worry. Go immediately to Christ as your advocate and he will plead for you before God, your judge against the devil, your adversary. Don't worry about how bad your failure was. Instead, let it move you to humility and the realization of your own weakness, but then stop thinking about it for Christ will use it for glory. Favorite phrase coming up. In fact, the angels will shout out loud to see him prove your innocence. After all, this is Christ's job. He's our advocate. And he takes joy in winning his people's freedom from Satan's charges. I want you to picture that. That when you fall, someone you have not known how to respond. And Satan says to you, look at you. That was such a vile thought you just had. That was awful what you just said. That was awful what you just did. How can you call yourself a Christian? No way. And you tend to say, oh, you're right. That was awful. You're right. What is wrong with me? I got to do better than that. Ah." You, You say right back to him, yeah. And there's more where that came from. I'm awful. There's no hope for me apart from Christ. That's why Christ died for me while I was still a sinner and I'm still a sinner, but he's adopted me. He will not let me go. He keeps me and he loves me, not based on how good or bad I'm doing on any other given day. He's my high priest. He stands before God, the father and continues to show God, the father, his righteousness. That's mine and says, this one's mine. She's mine. She's mine. He's mine. He pleads your cause before Satan and defends you. It's not your job to defend yourself. Your savior who saved you loves to defend you against our enemy. Say thank you, Jesus. You need to learn how to fight differently 
in those moments. And that's why the hymn writer understood this very truth when she wrote those words that move us so when we sing them. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven in his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hence depart. Now listen to verse 2. When Satan tempts me to despair, and he will. Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him, Christ there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon, say it, me. Isn't that good? Some of you don't know how to rest in that. Don't hear me saying there's no place for fighting the good fight of faith. There is. Don't hear me saying don't pursue holiness. Please do. But you will fight better, fight longer, and get up quicker when you understand There's no condemnation. Yeah, I went down and he loves me. He keeps me. And right now, as the demons scream at me and my flesh is tempted to believe it, my Savior pleads my cause. That's our great high priest. He doesn't just save us. He defends us, keeps us, never gives up on us, never stops loving us. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to... I want you to work this into your own life before you rush out of here. And I want you to think. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, I am so glad you're here. This is the most important thing you could consider today. I I kid you not. There's nothing more important. Not your investments. Not your career. Not your grandkids. Are you right with the God of the universe? Do you have the righteousness that comes from God by faith? Is that yours? That you can spend eternity with him, that you don't go to hell? If not, trust in Christ today. Cry out to Jesus today. Simple prayer. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But you got to swallow yourself for righteous pride and count everything else as loss. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. He he pleads today. His arms are outstretched today. He loves lost sinners. In fact, he said, I came not for the well. I came for the sick. I came for the lost. You say, you don't know how bad I am, Pastor Brett. I'm not worthy. I agree with you. You're not worthy. None of us are. So cry out to the Savior who died for unworthy people. But maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you have been beat up your entire Christian life and you've been living by your feelings. I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel clean. I don't feel. And I want you to learn to talk to your feelings with truth. And I want you to think about the angels shouting as your savior pleads your cause the next time you stumble. And I think you'll start serving Jesus better 
you'll start fighting sin better. You'll become more holy, not more sinful when you get a hold of this and you rest in your Savior and look to your Savior. Oh God, how we thank you for your Son who saves us and keeps us. We didn't need Jesus to redeem us and now we'll take it from here. We need him every hour, every day. And thank you for loving us and keeping us and pleading our cause. Draw lost sinners to yourself today. Oh, make Jesus attractive. Make the free offer of the gospel beautiful. Stir hearts to see their bankruptcy and to cry out to a Savior and say, Save me, save me, save me. I cannot do this. And for Christians... Oh, God, your children, your daughters and your sons that our enemy has deceived and beat up and taken advantage of. Oh, cause them to form the habit of looking up and knowing that you're satisfied because Jesus and what he has done and he stands as our advocate. Do a good work in every heart, wherever any person is here today. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.